Welcome to the Messenger Podcast. I'm Lisa Bevere, and today I am going to be hosting the first part of a two-part series. We're going to be talking about Church Too and Me Too. And to tackle this subject, I have invited with me a guest named Asha, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. I am so excited today to be hosting Asha Daya. We are going to have a conversation that I think is incredibly, incredibly important. I want to give you a little bit of background on Asha. Asha is a journalist. She's a producer. She has over 15 years experience creating content for major broadcasts and digital platforms, including Fox, ABC, MSN, and MTV. But I was reading about Asha, and she actually had a heart to see a little bit deeper news, a little bit more relational news. And so she became the founder and editor-in-chief of GirlTalkHQ.com. You can check her out there, GirlTalkHQ.com, a daily news site promoting positive imagery and the representation of women in media. It launched in 2012, and the site has over 50,000 unique monthly visitors and major sponsors. And our paths crossed uh, last week in a social media firestorm for me. And I found myself so intrigued with this woman who had such a passion for truth, such a passion for women. And I just invited her if she would come alongside of me because I am a big believer in having hard conversations with the right people. And the right people doesn't mean the same people. We don't all need to think exactly the same way. If everybody at the table thinks exactly the same way, it's like talking to yourself. And if people talk to themselves long enough, they're just going to go crazy. And I think the church has isolated herself and not necessarily had the right conversations with the right people. So Asha is in London right now. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm here in Colorado. And she has been gracious enough to join me. Um, she asked for clarity. And I felt like that, Asha, I just felt like your heart was really a heart of, hey, listen, I, I want to understand and I want to make sure you understand that um, abuse is happening in the church. I had posted something that I have to be honest with you. Um, I actually hadn't posted it. It was my team that posted it. But when it got posted, it was... Um, not put in any context. There was a whole lot of confusion where people thought I was talking about uh, abuse and silencing people. And you asked me some hard questions and then you invited me to learn. And Asha, I just really respected that. And that's why I invited you on. And so thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Lisa. I really appreciate being part of this conversation. And yeah, I think you're right about having the hard conversations, especially with people who come from different backgrounds, different thoughts and ideologies, and it's important to learn from each other. So I'm, I'm really glad to be part of this conversation today. Well, and I loved it that you would be willing to take it beyond social media because social media, we're, we're constricted by how many words, we're constricted by what people are already thinking, and yeah. it can become banter. And, and this is too important for it to be banter. And so we're actually going to be talking about hashtag church too, hashtag me too. And Asha, I'm gonna I'm gonna share something that you know I actually have never um, shared in my writings because I, to be honest with you, it was it was um it was just something I hadn't brought up and my mom was still alive and she was part of it and so it was kind of like a situation where I didn't want to dishonor my mom because when people don't know to do better they don't do better and uh, when I shortly after I became a Christian I was 21 years of age. I was sexually assaulted and I called my mom 
you know, just in a panic and crying on the phone. And I remember her comment to me was, oh, yeah, so-and-so in my Bible study said she thought you had a seducing spirit. And Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm so, so sorry you heard no, that. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. No, Asha. So it was in that moment, you know, I, I understood that, um, that women who often have been assaulted, there's I, I, other women will tell them it's mm-hmm. the and so I was like, so I actually called the man who is now my husband. I've been married to him for 36 years. We, we were not even boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. And, but he would have been kind of a spiritual mentor to me. And I called him from my University of Arizona sorority and he was working in Dallas. And I, I told him what had happened. And he just said, that is a lie. That was not your fault. And I even, mm. I even said to him, I had a turtleneck on, I had a sweater on, I had corduroy right. pants on. There was nothing showing but my hands and my face. And he was like, Lisa, stop. That is not, no matter what you were wearing, that would never have been right. And I was not assaulted in the church. I was assaulted by a Jewish lawyer from Phoenix. So, you know, for me, I actually um, think of it had happened to me uh, now I'm 58 and grandma, so it's probably not going to happen, praise God. But but if it had happened to me, I actually think I would have had the tools uh, to handle it. But back then, right. I didn't think it was nice to be confronted. I didn't think it was nice to set boundaries. Mm. I didn't think I had the right to have a voice. Now, if it had happened two years previous, before I'd become a Christian, I would have slapped him. But I didn't mm. know. And Asha, you've had, you've had some experiences with the church and in the church and I would just love you to share your heart on that. Yeah, well, first I just want to say it's interesting how you mentioned two years previous to when you were assaulted that you would have spoken out. And it just mm-hmm. speaks to that we do need to do a lot of unearthing in terms of the culture that we're brought up in as women in the church and, you know, the tools that were given or not given. So when I, I was brought up as a Christian in Australia, where I'm originally from, and um, it's, the culture is a little bit um, different over there and so I moved to America in 2008 and I started going to um, a very big church in Los Angeles and I got married at the age of 24 and you know for me it was all about you know wanting to do the right thing and have the Christian marriage and um, you know I found this guy who we clicked with really well and I thought oh great he's into the same music and also he's a Christian so everything else is just going to fall into place right that was my naivete and then we got married and it was just downhill from there and I felt really alone and isolated and scared. I had a lot of really close girlfriends and I was very plugged into the church. I was leading Bible study. I was leading worship every Friday night. I went to classes, women's ministry, all the things I did, but I felt so alone and it got to the point where I was in a very toxic, abusive relationship and I didn't have the tools to speak out. I didn't I didn't even know how to defend myself to the person I was married to. That's how just belittled I felt. Um, I was afraid of, uh, when when I decided that I'm not going to put up with this anymore, I'm a very strong-willed, stubborn person. And so I think it got to the point where I was just like, you know what, I'm done, I'm out. Whereas a lot of people don't, uh, a lot of women don't do that. They feel afraid and they stay. And I was just, I guess, pig-headed enough to go, I'm going to risk all the wrath of the people that I, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by in church. And they did write to me and, you know, send me messages saying, 
you know, you're probably going to go to hell because you're, you, you're, you're deciding to divorce your husband as opposed to allow, you know, all these kind of things. And, oh, and these were messages from men that I barely knew. And I was like, cool, thank you. And th- those are the only messages I got. I never received any support or encouragement. I stepped down from all my ministry and, and leadership roles. Not one person called me. All the people who thought who I thought were friends, no one reached out. No pastor reached out to me. No leader kind of came alongside me. Um, and, that, and I guess over time, it really solidified I did the right thing. But, you know, five or six years later, down, which is now down the tr- track, I still feel very angry. Oh, and by the way, I was threatened by my ex and his family in a number of different ways. Um, and I was very scared for a while. And then I, you know, being the very strong, loud, outspoken person I am, I was able to find my feet and find my support system and get the tools that I needed to help myself legally and, uh, you know, encourage, encourage myself with the right type of people. But I, I still have that feeling of being very honest here. I, I have bitterness and anger toward that culture that festers in the church for myself. And because I saw a number of other of my friends, um, both my age and a little bit older go through this where they never found the, you know, the right resolution or the freedom to be able to move on. And so for me, that's kind of where I'm at today. I, I'm no expert. I am not, you know, famous. I am just a person who has this passion, like you said, and I want to use my voice and hopefully it can, you know, lead to some sort of recognition, awareness, maybe some healing as well. So that's kind of why I'm, I'm speaking out today. Well, and I, and I sense that. I sense that when, even in your conversation, even where I actually felt like you were angry at me, I was like, yeah, but there's, she's not just angry to be angry. There's a, yeah. there's, a there's a cause. And um, sometimes I think that there's right things to be angry about, but I also felt that you didn't want to just stay in a place of anger. You wanted to find resolution. And, um, you know, so here's, here's something I want to ask you. So if we can go back a little bit into that, because I'm going to tell you, Asha, um, I've been in church services where I had women come up to me and say, my husband threw me down the stairs. And, mm. and I'm just looking, yeah, I'm just looking at her and I said, okay, you, you need to go. You need to go to your pastor. You need to tell them that your husband threw you down the stairs in front of your kids. And I actually wrote about this in Linus Rising. And, and the woman said, I did. And they told me that he wouldn't have done it if I was more submissive. And I just, uh, like, in my, my uh, I have a little bit of a bent towards rebellion uh, brain was like, yes. I, I'm going to write about this. I am going to have to say this because this is incredibly wrong. And submission is never something that God asks anybody to be submissive to somebody who is not protective or provider for them. And so mm. whenever a man throws his wife down the stairs, the last thing she should be at that point is submissive. And the number one thing she should do is to get safe. And that's actually what I told her. I was like, you, you need to, you, you cannot raise your children to think that that is normal. And you're going yeah. to have to move them into a place of where your husband has to make some choices to either get counseling or help, or he's confronted. So let me ask you, when you, when you were like at this place where, you were doing everything. You were worship leader, you're a Bible study leader, and, and yet you were alone. Why, why do you think you were so involved? Why do you think 
there was this prevailing sense of loneliness even then? Yeah, that's a good question. And I know I'm not alone in that sentiment. I've since found that people within my church community have felt the same. And so I've kind of found some kinship in that thought process. But for me, it was like, I'm struggling with these things. Um, You know, my husband had a lot of uh, baggage from his own life and upbringing that he'd never really dealt with. And he kind of brought that into our marriage. And it was never, it was never really healthy from the beginning. And so I felt that I couldn't tell anyone because for some reason, I felt that it looked bad on me. Like it was my fault. Like I was embarrassed to talk about the fact that I was in an abusive place. And probably because like you said, uh, you know, I too had, have known women and known about pastors telling women, counseling women to go back to abusive marriages. And so I was in a place where, you know, like you mentioned, you know, this woman had gone back to her pastor and said, well, this is what's happening. I was at a place where, I'm like, you know what? I don't need permission. I know this is wrong and I'm just going to leave. Like, I think that's, that's where we get because of the structure in the church and because of what is taught about, you know, what we believe in the Bible and what we want to imply, apply to our lives. And, and often the way it's interpreted by certain types of leaders and certain types of men in churches, it becomes, there is, the line does get blurred a little bit and it does become a place of, well, if I want to do anything, I need to get permission from such and such and this this person in authority over me. But if someone's being thrown down the stairs, what more permission do you need to leave than that? You know, right? And, and so, she actually went to the women's. Uh, she she talked to the pastor's wife that told her that it wasn't the pastor, uh, in case, which was which was horrifying to me. That's even more heartbreaking because then it's right. like, well, what? How do we? how do we all think about this issue of abuse? Not just men, but I mean, traditionally men still hold the majority of power in a lot of Christian churches, but that's not to say that there are women who think the same as well, because that's, that's what we've, we've all been taught and, you know, to varying degrees. And so it's a matter of dismantling that in the right way. And, you know, I think the thing about your post and some of the discussion and especially the, um, my motivation in jumping into the conversation, which I didn't, I hadn't started the thread was that, you know, when the idea of going through the proper channels in theory, I think it, it might be good, but in practicality in reality, it really is not working. And it's not about people from the church going outside and going to social media and just like going, Oh, that church, you know, making fun of it and just kind of slamming it. It's about, going stepping away and getting some light and shining it in that darkness and say it's time we're not going to cover up for this any longer and if that means we have to find other channels whether it's a blog or a video channel or a tv show whatever it is to kind of expose that and really wake up the church and say look look, this is not right then maybe that's a start i mean look at what's happening in the southern baptist convention right now with Paige patterson or andy savage the, the memphis pastor you know, these kind of stories, we, we've all heard these stories and they're very, very commonplace. But now that the mainstream media is reporting it, now it's like, oh, oh, we, we better like, we need to do something. And so I think it's a good place of discomfort that it's become more well-known outside the church um, boundaries, I guess. And so now it is a place where church structures are having conversations and dealing with it and, and having to listen to 
what people are saying on social media because you know that's that's kind of where people go to express so many different things so it can be used for good it can be used for bad in this situation i think the exposure is hopefully going to lead to some good things well you know i'm going to I'm going to make sure because I mean I know this sounds maybe silly to people, but I when I first when I first saw the post, I was like, "Wait, I've spent 30 years making sure women have a voice. Nobody's going to really believe that I would ever think they'd be silenced." So, like, I actually was like, "Wait, no, there's no way." I've written 14 books. I've been very clear. I've funded the rescue of a thousand girls. <laughs> so I'm thinking nobody's going to think that. But then I realized, wait a minute this is a different climate and this is a different season. And this was a grievous error on my part to assume that I wasn't talking to, you know, like that. I was just, I, I didn't, it's a different, there's a different climate. There's a wounding. And I, and I'll, I'll just be honest with you, Asha. I think it's, I think it's God exposing the hidden things. I think it's, I agree. The whole thing that Jesus said, the things that you've whispered are going to be shouted. I think he's saying, I'm, I'm, we're coming into a season of the, the hidden good things and the hidden bad things being known. And it's a season yeah. of harvest. And in harvest, weeds come up. And in harvest, uh, you know, we have- Good things sprout. Exactly. And so I'm committed that if I have pain and I realize I've inflicted pain or I'm experiencing pain, I'm going to redeem it. So that was my thing of, you know, I, I felt like there were some people, no matter how much I said, they, they were just like, no, no, no. And I was like, okay, you know what? I would rather take this as a learning opportunity for myself and a learning opportunity for other people. And, you know, I am not immune to making mistakes and I am not, uh, I am not uh, in a position where I think I've arrived. I want to learn. And I have four millennial sons and they are always speaking into John's in my life because we understand we're a different generation, but there is mm. an incredible power when the older generation and the younger generation are saying the same thing. And I think that only happens when we come to the same table. So I want to ask you another question. So, um, so you, you, you probably, okay. And this is just me guessing, but you probably always felt alone because you actually knew that they weren't really there for you because they, uh, oh yeah, they proved it by when you went through a hard time, that's when your friends should have rallied around you. But instead um, they weren't there for you. I'm, I'm horrified that somebody would say you're going to hell for initiating something because, you know, there's absolutely nothing that is like a sin that you and I could ever do that can undo the, the wrapping of Jesus. And we know that Jesus never interacted with women the way that we see uh, the church sometimes doing it. And I think what's been hidden in the Southern Baptist Convention is being made known. I mean, who would have ever thought that remark? Uh, I think what has been hidden in the church has been made known. I do think there, there may be people that have been falsely accused, but I almost feel, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a witness to any of these things, but there is more people that have done it that have never been made known. So I feel like yeah. leadership has an opportunity to, to say, we have failed to realize this is an issue. We have been more concerned about protecting our reputation than actually doing something. Um, I went to, a, I, I go to a church, but the former pastor um, did some horrible things. He hired a male prostitute and bought drugs. 
And when I actually heard it the first time, and I was actually incredulous, I was like, that's ridiculous. It was on a voicemail. I was like, he could not be that stupid to have left a voice recording. And I was like, that's impossible. And I, it, and I actually had a friend call me. There was a radio conversation going on. And, and I hung up the phone and I took two steps. And Asha, I, I heard the Holy Spirit say, it's true. And now you're going to know why a lot of things that you felt were off. And he said, it was never about you, Lisa, because I always felt like I was on the outside looking in. And um, I remember being in a meeting with all men and my husband brought me into the room because my husband does life with me. And every time I would talk, they would never answer me. And they would look at my husband and ask him questions. Mm -hmm. And one of the young men walked us out and said, I'm sorry, he, he doesn't do life with women. We're so sorry. That was horrible. And John was like, yeah, I don't do life without women. So that's that's just, that we're just not going to have that meeting again. And that was, uh, that was devastating, but I, I, I felt shell-shocked. I felt betrayed. Um, I walked around and said, I don't want to be right about what is wrong. And so mm. here's the thing. We know, I mean, there's unequivocally, your family should have been there for you. And I don't know what church you were at. And, you know, I don't, I, I would like to believe because I do get to travel and go to a lot of churches that, that's the exception, not the norm. But um, I think that there has to be some work done where that becomes the norm that we are family and the most vulnerable are protected, not the reputation. And so what would you think would need to happen? Like what could have been different in your situation? Like what, do, what would you have hoped would have happened versus what actually happened? I think for me, um, and I can only really speak for myself. And while I would assume that, you know, other people would think the same, I'm not going to speak on behalf of other people. But for me, I, I would have loved to be part of a church community and, and that I could call family. Like, I, I don't think I would ever have thought of it as a family other than, you know, if, if I needed a ride somewhere, well, I knew someone could help me out. Or if I needed to look for a roommate, well, I knew someone could help me out. But what about when push comes to shove? No. And so, for me, it would have been great to know that the first place that I go to when I'm in trouble or going through a difficult situation is the church. But sadly, it wasn't. And I know for a lot of people, especially millennials, um, because they're, I'm part of a very large community online and uh, across America, that we're now kind of finding kinship in similar experiences going through churches, some who still call themselves Christians, believers, others who don't uh, because of experiences that they've been through and so I think it's a matter of churches reevaluating the power structure frankly that has mm -hmm. a lot to do with it because you know there are people who are supportive and loving and really amazing but when it comes to really difficult situations like rape sexual assault harassment intimidation there is a kind of a line of a channel that you have to go through you know the steps you go to the brother who has wronged you, then you go to the, the leaders. And if that, you know, all the things that we, we read in the Bible that have kind of been put into place in these power structures. But I, I know that you would like, we would all like to believe that it's, it's, you know, the exception, not the norm, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, actually, it kind of is the norm. And we're seeing that more and more. And, you know, with a, with a organization like the Southern Baptist convention, I do believe that that, would have happened because you look at the history of them, especially when it comes to things like racism and, mm -hmm. and now sexism. I mean, that, that is being exposed now. And so it's, it really is a time of reevaluation. And, 
you know, with the Me Too movement and church too, uh, which I know you said we're going to talk about, but when it comes to rape accusations, if you look at the statistics and data, uh, while I don't know the isolated statistics around church-related um, accusations, but rape in general in America, less I, I believe it's less than 5% that are, or maybe even less than that, um, that are false accusations. The majority of these accusations, you know, against men in power, against men in positions of authority are not made up. And one of the things that I always keep coming back to is, you know, people like to say, oh, they just want money, they want fame, this and that. What what are these women getting out from, you know, accusing, uh, outing these men for what they did to them? I mean, they're, they're going to live with the trauma for the rest of their lives. They're going to live with people berating them on social media. They don't gain anything from outing their abusers other than perhaps some sort of healing, perhaps some sort of accountability. But I think we need to look at this as we need to start making it the norm and the default that we start listening to um, victims who are majority women, but there are men as well. We, we start listening to victims. We start making it the default that we believe them rather than saying, oh, but what was she wearing? Like you mentioned in yeah. your story, you, you thought that. I mean, that we don't just see that in the church. We see that in our justice no, system it, where, where yeah. it's questions of like, well, how drunk was she? What was she wearing? Like that doesn't make someone rape someone. So, no. you know, it, there's a lot of reevaluating that has to go on in our society. But speaking just about the church, it's like if, we, if the church really isn't meant to be the bride of Christ and, we are, and it is meant to be set apart, you know, for holiness and setting an example for who Christ was, then I think we're doing a really bad job right now. And that's why it needs to be exposed. And so the Me Too movement, the Church Too hashtag, which was started by an amazing woman by the name of Hannah Pash, Mm -hmm. who speaks about religious and spiritual trauma and purity culture and um, well, and she I, experienced it while she was at Bible college, which at I at Bible college, yes, which I found to be astounding. That, yeah, uh, you know, that she went in and she was judged to be um, what she wasn't. That she was uh, there was a prejudice automatically. There was an isolation. There was a um, attacks and and shaming, even when. She hadn't done anything. I mean, simply it, because she used to wear lipstick and she yeah, liked fashion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she well, because she didn't look like everyone else. And right. So, um, so I think um, I think that my hope is, and I want and I want to I, I want to keep going on to the church two thing because I I I don't know if you watched um, Beth Moore and Rick Warren's uh, platform on that with Kay Warren where they talked about church two, and I feel like I feel like. Um, that was really important. The, the conversation to have, it's a hard conversation. And, you know, and I yeah. think that, I think you're right. I think we should assume it's the norm. And even if it isn't have everything in place as though it was. So we need to have, um, we stop victimizing the people that are already victims. We, we believe them first and we look for whatever we can do to empower them to get healing. Um, on, on the church, I think, again, I, I mentioned to you, I think the church is way behind on this. I think it took them by surprise. I think there are some pastors that had no idea that their, um, let's just go with the hierarchy, fostered it. Um, mm. I think what you're saying is the Bible says we go to them, then we go with, a, then we go with somebody else. And then if they don't hear us, then we take, it, we take it outside or we take push them outside. The hierarchies that are in place right now actually probably don't allow for that. So, um, that's, I think that's the problem. Yeah, I think that is a huge problem. I do think that millennials are, are 
my son was saying, you know, we were, I was talking to my son yesterday in preparation for this. And he said, you know, millennials are tired of the pat answers. And, yeah. and yet they also, I think, are sometimes afraid of maybe some of the deeper answers and they feel betrayed. So he said yeah. sometimes there's, there's a need for outlet. And so I want to see us move from, yeah, I, well, first of all, I want to, I want to affirm that when women do find their voice, they actually recover a little bit that was stolen from them in whatever that encounter was, that misunderstanding, that, uh, that sexual assault, that uh, betrayal of what you thought was family, who is not family for you. I, I know for me, um, that drove me deeper into the presence of God because um, that, because I can have people betray me, but I've never had Jesus betray me. So I, I think that was my concern. And, and actually I, my, my ideology when I was thinking about that was a post where everybody was talking about all the stupid things that Christian women hear. And it had gone viral. And I actually direct messaged the person and said, Hey, I love your heart, but this is actually probably not the right platform because when you're, when you're talking about these stupid things that Christian women hear, um, yes, everything you're, and I said, and I've, I've heard them this week. So I said, it's not that I disagree with you. I just think you're having a conversation with people that have no frame of reference for why people would even think they could say that. And I said, I'm trying to, and, and she is too. We're, I said, we're both trying to move, uh, move this, this position where I said, the church, if it feels attacked, 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 it's going to take a defensive position. I think we need to actually have conversations where we say, guys, this is ridiculous. You know, but I said, when you throw it out on social media, you're going to get a mob. And again, that's right or wrong. That's my opinion. And again, it wasn't abuse. It wasn't illegal. It wasn't, it was just stupid stuff. Like, you know, women can't be sleeveless. Women can't, right. you know, women shouldn't do this or open toed shoes. Those kind of stupid stuff. And I've, you know, Asha, I've been, I've been in this for 30 years and here's the thing. I have loved that I can see that there's been growth. And I love that I've been in the company of women who have like minds that are older and younger. And, um, but yeah, church too is, it's, it's a horrible thing. And I don't think that we should act like bad things don't happen in the church. When something is illegal, it's criminal. And when it's criminal, it goes outside of the church for the protection of those in the church. There's just no, there's no two ways about it. Um, yeah, so I do think millennials are desperate for a family, and I do think that we, the way we do church needs to probably change, because I don't see this kind of thing in the book of Acts or the early church. I hope you're feeling challenged by this, because I certainly am, and I feel like this is such an important conversation that we're going to take a break here, but we're going to pick up again next week with another episode, so I hope you join us.